Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the happiest podcast on earth. That's right. You are listening to the Lorcana cast, and we are here to talk about all things related to Lorcana. And we are going to have a wonderful, magnificent, fantastic, awesome time this episode. So, we've got all kinds of fun stuff going on with a special guest joining us. We've got the Illumiteers. How are y'all doing tonight? Hey, we're doing wonderful. Very excited to be here. Absolutely. And then we have got Skeff and Chris Bates. How y'all doing? Awesome. I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm really excited because this week's episode is going to be very laid back. We're going to ditch the meta, quote unquote. We're going to ditch talking about competitive cards and decks and all kinds of stuff. And we're going to talk a little bit about Gamma with the Illumiteers because Liam was able to go. And then we are going to speculate about cards we think we are going to see in Lorcana based off the ones we've already seen. So, for example, we've seen Dr. Facilier, which means we've got stuff from Princess and the Frog. So we should see a Princess Tiana. But we already started arguing before recording about is it Frog Tiana? Is it Human Tiana? Tiana? Is it Tiana cooking? What color is she? All of the above. So we're going to have some some fun speculating and arguing and hopefully bringing you, the listener, into the conversation because we want to know what cards you think we're going to see in the comments below. So if you're listening on a podcast, you're watching on YouTube, you should uh, definitely leave us a line and go, hey, this is the the card I think is going to come out in the set once it's all revealed. But let's talk a little bit about the Illumiteers. Who are you? How are you? And what have you all been up to? I feel like who are we is a very existential question. Yeah, very um, <laughs> Go ahead. No, so I'm Liam. <laughs> and I'm Aaron. And uh, we're a husband and wife team covering Lorcana. Um, our goal is to build a community around this game. Um, we're very, very passionate about both Disney and the power of gaming. One of the things we, we lean heavily to on our channel is the art and the design of the cards as well. Um, so that community that we're trying to build extends to the artists and trying to bring them in and connect them with the fans uh, as well. So what I miss, Aaron? Yeah, no, um, Liam's a lifelong TCG player, board game player, and I'm a little bit more new to the space, but grew up going to Disneyland every, every summer with my dad and just grew up really loving Disney. So this is just the perfect, the perfect game, the perfect game for us um, as a family. So what have you all been working on recently? You've got a bunch of videos that have been coming out covering a bunch of topics. So what what are some of your favorites you've been working on? And do you have a little secret little pipeline news we can hear about maybe what's coming up? Oh, man, our, our projects tend to be all over the place, but we're, we're excited about each and every one of them. I think our favorite thing is that we've worked on recently uh, cover the art and design of the game. You know, there's all sorts of little tidbits and, and narrative details hidden in the art. The art team works with Disney and the artists. They spend so much time on each card that there's all these nuggets you can find if you, if you really dig into them. So we've done some videos highlighting those as well as some artist interviews. We've been privileged to speak to um, several of them so far. We've got some interviews on our channel and uh, we've got three in the pipeline. Uh, we've recently interviewed Kaner Soyu, mm-hmm. um, Ari Welly from Brazil and Grace Tran from uh, Vietnam who did Tinkerbell. So we're really excited to edit those and get them out uh, so that the community can connect with those artists. For another fun video we did, we just released one today, a passion project talking about the implications of AI art to gaming and uh, what that means for all of us. So what else are we working on, Aaron? 
Oh my gosh. I feel like you've covered it really well. One of our, uh, one of my favorite things that, that we do because we just love the art and, and connecting that to, to the Disney community as well is one of my favorite video series we do is like the, what did you miss videos, um, looking at the card art and examining kind of what certain elements of card art could mean for the game. And then also just tying it back to the Disney character or the, the movie that it's evoking. Very, very cool. All right. So let's talk for a few moments about Gamma. So we we did an interview while you were there at the event. We've talked about all kinds of stuff. We've talked to Jared. There's been tons and tons of content talking about Gamma. But hilariously, you are one of the few people who actually went there. So instead of speculating, we can actually talk to someone who had boots on the ground. So overall... What were your thoughts and feelings of Lorcana being presented at Gamma? Because you got to play it, you got to see it, you got to go to the panel, you actually got to touch these cards and see them in real life. So what what was your takeaway from that experience? I mean, my, my first takeaway was it was just an incredible experience. No, so Gamma uh, is, is an amazing uh, event if anybody gets a chance to go. The, the thing you have to understand about Gamma is it's not for fans necessarily. It's for it's for the industry. Um, and so for this particular event, this was Lorcana's like debut to retailers. This was the first time stores who will be stocking this game got to see cards in person, play the game. And so really the whole event was about the Lorcana team developing a relationship and a community with these stores where they hope to grow, you know, a, a fan base. And so what we saw, you know, what, what I got to see was um, from the very beginning, th- this excitement build at this convention. Because on day one, there was there was no Lorcana until nine o'clock at night. And then people experienced it for the first time. We had game night. And throughout the convention, you could tell the buzz was building around this game. And by day two, you know, by the evening of day two, it felt like it was Lorcana and then everybody else with a little bit of Shatterpoint. So the buzz, the hype, the excitement was real. And by the end, I think the only negative thing that I heard retailers saying was they don't think they're going to get enough. That was their biggest concern and frustration with the game and the gameplay and everything. So it was very exciting. Learned a lot. I'm happy to tell any stories, answer any questions. But uh, overall, um, it went very well. And I can tell you pretty confidently that retailers are excited to get this game in their stores. So tell us your uh, funniest story from Gamma, since you're going to relay to us all the interesting things that happened. (laughs) I have a funny story. I wasn't even there, but I'm interested to know what your funniest story is, because it might not be the same as mine. No, I mean, you know, the the most interesting story, and I I think Jared talked about it last week, but either Ravensburger's playing coy or somebody made a mistake. Because time and time again, this game was booked for uh, meeting spaces, venues that were too small at the convention. And it's highlighted by an amazing uh, event on day two, where Ravensburger is booked for this for this small room to give their retailer presentation. You know, Watsi is across the hall and they've got this big space and Lorcana is jammed into this little conference room. And, you know, we found out later people are arriving early at 8 a.m. to get a seat for this noon panel. And, you know, over time the room started to fill, the room started to fill. At 11.30, I squeezed my way in the back and was jammed against the back wall. And eventually, you know, they were supposed to start the presentation and, and, Instead, they announced they were going to move it across the convention center to to a a big ballroom. And on the way, as I'm walking, I'm thinking, you know, based on the size of that room, we'll probably fill a quarter of the ballroom. It'll be fine. Um, But word must have got out. Tweets must have spread. Text messages. I don't know. Because by the time we got to the ballroom, the entire convention was there. We packed it wall to wall, um, which was just incredible. And by the end of the panel, again, you know, after all the questions, you could tell that the retailers were excited. But it was an amazing story. I don't know if it was funny, um, 
but it was uh, it was interesting. Um, and it really just talks about the the hype that I saw there. Aaron, what, what's your funny story? I mean, my my funny story is. Liam apparently pulling a Liam where wait wait so hold for, on a second for, oh, there's, oh, he, oh. There's, a, there's a whole statement of <laughs> this he has there's his apparently own thing? a verb now after my home well, <laughs> you know so uh, just explain that really okay. so you know we we did stream a game there uh, you know so another amazing part about Gamma just to preface the story was um, was the Lorcana community itself and we tried very hard to connect all the fans who weren't able to be there with the conference. And so we streamed quite a bit. We tried to pass on news and make make the community part of part of Gamma. And I think we were successful to a degree. But as part of that effort, we did stream a proxy game, a couple people there, and I made a small mistake inking something that shouldn't have been inked. And uh, we weren't checking the chat and I was called on it several times. And now... Apparently, I'm known for putting things in my ink while they don't belong there. Uh, <laughs> well, what card was it? What card, now I got to know. What card was it? What it, card was, did you it was ink? Maleficent. Uh, oh, Biting Baby time. Mal. Yeah, yeah Baby, baby Mal. Yeah. So, oh, man. All right. Um, yeah. You know, the, the other funny me. story, one more funny story. You know, I was sitting down for our for our demo game, um, which was wild. You know, one of the Ravensburger employees had to grab a puzzle off their table and start writing numbers on the back and handing them out to keep track of the line. But I sat down wow. to play my game. You know, I've played before. My opponent had not. So I was kind of teaching him, getting ready to teach him how to play. And as I'm sitting there, Steve Warner, the game designer, you know, rolls up and he shouts across the table, hey, Liam, can you pass me your deck? I want to get that deck down to this end of the table. I want to put this one there so people see more cards. I'm like, yeah, Steve, no problem. Passed off my deck. And like in slow motion, my, my opponent turned to look at me and he's like, Steve knows your name? And I'm like, yeah, I'll, you know, do some YouTube stuff. And he's like, well, I'm going to get destroyed. I'm like, no, 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 I'll teach you. You're like, yes, um, I'm going to destroy you. I will crush I'm your soul down and you. You're going to learn today, youngin. Um, and it was, uh, wait, does Steve know fun. who we are, Sugi? No comment. Whatever, this is not cool. Yeah, you no, know, he, cool kids. He, of course he, knows he does. Who we are. He knows who we are. Oh, you okay. are the premier Lorcana podcast. Of course he does. Are we really? <laughs> yeah, we are. The OG. Oh, snap. <laughs> are you? Have you ever listened to the the show, Skeff? Do I do I need to? No, I listen to it. I'm just like I'm just like I'm checking. I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just like this is really awesome. Oh my gosh, You're killing me, Smalls. I love it. Oh dear. Anyway, Liam, please continue. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I think those were the highlights for me. It was it was really the community and, and um, you know, uh, you no, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you know, I didn't get to go with Liam, but I did watch a ton of footage from from that weekend while back here um, in Austin. But I think one of the moments from one of the game nights that I just absolutely loved seeing is at one point. There were two gentlemen who sat down, uh, sat down across the table from one one other, another to learn how to play Lorcana, and they were like managers of competing game stores in Seattle. So it was the manager of Mox playing the manager of I can't remember the other game shop, but it was so cool to see these like two competitive stores like sit down and the managers learn this game together and like build that community that way. And I feel like you know nowhere else but Gamma are you going to see these two store managers sit down and actually play a game of Lorcana together. So that was that was really cool and Liam was able to capture that on camera. Yeah, it's pretty funny. They made a big deal out of it. The Lorcana team was very excited. I'll, I'll mention one more thing that, that stands out to me. The, the team behind the game is incredible. And I know Jared's been saying this quite a bit, but to meet these people working on the game, the passion every single one of them has for it and how accessible they are to the fans. You know, even, you know, that the CEO, um, you know, was willing to talk to us and then the head of global games, uh, you know, came over and chatted with us for quite a while. And these are people who care deeply about this game, they want it to be around for years. It is very evident in like 
two seconds of talking to them that this is not a cash grab and that they're in this for the long haul. That it is impossible to meet them and not come away with that that sense of confidence in the game. Yeah, I mean, sitting down and talking to Steve, we had an opportunity to meet him actually back in February up in Seattle. Getting to sit down and chat with him, he was like bursting at the seams because he was worried about what he was going to say to me. But he was like, all I want to do is just talk about games. He is just so passionate about his work and just gaming in general, whether or not it's a game that he's created or not. He loves games and loves the community that games build. And it's just, it's so evident. And it's, um, you can absolutely tell that this game is being handled with such care by that creative team. So it's really great to see. You guys talked about how you've been able to communicate with the artist of the cards. Because as we know, every single card uh, tediously has been done with original art, which I thought was an insane yeah. concept, but also a brilliant idea as well. How did that start? What, what, like, how did you come up with that idea? And like, was it easy to track them down? Oh, goodness. You know, I'll offer one thought, like the, the point about it being tedious, you know, talking to, to the creative team, like they realized what I think all of us realized. If they had in this game grabbed screenshots from movies, this game wouldn't have worked. It would not have worked. And so, you know, not only um, do they get to, uh, you know, create this original art, but it's also necessary for for this game to take off. But we're, you know, I've been passionate about game art for for so long, having seen TCGs come and go, you know, the art and the story of the game is such a huge part of it, because without the art, the game is just mechanics. When players sit down to play, the art and the flavor of the game is what creates the story, you know, in your mind as you're playing an Illumineer or a Planeswalker or a Netrunner or, or whatever it is. And so, you know, the art's a big piece of that. I think reaching out to the artist was was fairly easy, the initial ones. And, you know, I will say Nicholas Cole gave us a big foot in the door. He was the, the biggest artist right out the gate, uh, the most famous. And he immediately said, yes, I want to talk about this game. I want to connect with the fans. He sat down with us, did an interview. He was wonderful. And that gave us, you know, when when the Robinsberger team and the other artists saw what we were doing with our interviews, it gave them the confidence that we weren't going to spoil anything. We weren't going to press them for any answers they couldn't talk about and that we were approachable and wanted to learn about them. And it, it got our feet in the door, foots in the door. Yeah. Feet, foots. We're <laughs> foot in the door. Foot foot in the door. And what's amazing, I'll, I'll turn over to Aaron in a second, but one thing that's amazing about the artists that they're bringing on board is number one, it's it's the worldwide diversity, but it's also the diversity in terms of where these artists are in their career. It would have been a very easy thing for them to grab Nicholas Cole and Mel Milton, you know, two of the most well-known artists that we've seen and say, hey, we want you to do a hundred illustrations, you know, illustrate this game, go. And they would have done a brilliant job and it would have been amazing. But instead, they went out and, you know, Shane Hartley, the creative director and a couple other members of the art team, you know, scoured Instagram and connections and they looked at who Nicholas Cole was following and they found some amazing artists just starting out in their careers. I mean, Marcel Berg is straight out of grad school. He's in his first professional job as a concept artist working for a startup game company. And he's here doing Lorcana cards alongside Nicholas Cole, who's been in this industry for ages and is super well-known. And so the, the getting to talk to some of these artists, you know, it, it, right at the start of their career and learn about them as they're breaking into the industry, and it's just been a privilege. And I'm, Aaron, what do you have to add? <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I feel like you've covered it. Yeah, it's just been great to get to know them. You know, anytime a new artist is released, we we reach out to them via email. We're a little behind. There were a lot recently. Yeah, yeah the with the recent flood of cards in April, it's it's become a little bit more difficult to manage. But, you know, as artists were being revealed, reaching out to them, just asking if they would sit down and chat with us. And yeah, I mean, at this point, our, our biggest goal is just to get to know them as people, you know, because of all of the NDAs surrounding Lorcana and 
and Disney NDAs, which the artists are very, are always mentioned they're Disney NDAs. Terrifying. Um, terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. The mouse is very that terrifying. Mouse. But um, so we try to be really careful about, you know, actually talking about the game itself. And um, we're hoping to do like a series of follow-up interviews once the first chapter is released to chat with the artists about the actual art in the game. But really, it's just getting to know them and what brought them to this point in their career and their background a lot of times with Disney and and art in general. And so. and there are some amazing, inspiring stories. A lot of these people come from incredible places. They've achieved, you know, some of them are, have broken into the art industry against so many odds. And so getting to know them, there's a huge difference between seeing a piece of art you like and being like, that's neat. And opening up a pack of cards for the first time and seeing, you know, Simangalisa Sabaya on the bottom of the card and being like, I know him. That's a Simangalisa Sabaya piece. And knowing his backstory, you can see that influence in the art. And it's just incredible. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but... Uh, no, that was phenomenal. I... I you could, you could tell how much passion you have when uh, communicating with the artist about what they're bringing to the table. And basically, you're correct. The art is half the battle because if the game looks like garbage, no one's going to want to play it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And creating this original art is allowing the game to do things that it wouldn't be able to do. I mean, Floodborne would be non-existent if we were just pulling screenshots from movies. So um, having this original art is is really interesting. And once you start looking at the pieces themselves, you you really start seeing the character of the artists themselves. I mean, all of them have to draw within you know, the Disney vernacular and, and align with Disney's aesthetic because obviously needing to protect that brand. But you can see the artists' personalities and their passions shining through in each piece that you look at and you can see subtle differences. And that's really the artist as a human coming to the table. And it's really, it's really incredible to get to meet them. I just had a question about um, the earlier Gamma comments about you know, the rooms not being big enough and, and that type of thing is just complete speculation. But do you think that's related to, again, not not having an idea how big the game's going to be? Or is it more trying to control, you know, the first appearance of the game and, and try to control, like, you know, be more conservative in, in how it's going to be released? Yeah, I think there's there's two possibilities. I mean, one is that it's all part of the it was planned. It's part of the hype. Um, and yeah. uh, they know how big the game's going to be and they're playing coy and, you know, generating the story. I don't think that's the case. I think it's the other. I think this team is really... They're so humble about that's what, I was what, say. what they do. Yeah. They're humble. And, you know, to us, we, you know, we've been in this bubble for so long. We see the potential of this game immediately. We're so excited about it. Um, I think for them, you know, they created this from scratch. They dreamed this up. And to them, this is still, you know, an egg that's hatching. And they, I, I don't even think, you know, even after all their data, even after, you know, all their social media followers, mm -hmm. that they realize how big this could be. And so I think they're cautiously optimistic. I think they are humble. And yeah, I, I genuinely don't think they expected the response at D23. And I genuinely don't think that they expected to compete with, you know, Magic and um, Shatterpoint and all these other games coming out in terms of popularity sure. at the Ta convention. Talking to them about their D23 experience back in February, I mean, they had the fire marshals <laughs> coming right. out trying to break up their line because it had just gotten so out of hand. And when you meet Steve and Ryan and Shane and the CEO, I mean, they they are all just 
I, I don't think all of them, it's really hit them that this is becoming a reality and what this could mean for gaming and, and exposing new people to gaming. That's what's so exciting about this game is there's going to be a whole new generation of gamers who would never touch a different TCG who are going to pick up Lorcana because mm-hmm. it's Disney and they want to engage with characters that they love in a new and different way. And I don't think, you know, I think that hasn't really hit Robinsberger yet just how unbelievably special this game is going to be. I think they know it's special, but it's it's a game changer. Dare I say a whole new world. A whole it new is world. a whole new world. That's a better, better way to say it. There you go. Cut that it's, out, it's, Sookie. It's, <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare close your eyes. <laughs> Don't you dare close your eyes. Um, no, it's it's so true. You know, because the the thing when you watch the retailers play the game on game night day one, you realize they're not playing it to see if this game is their game, if they're going to play it competitively, if they love it. They're playing it to see if they can get kids in their store, if they can use it as a gateway game, if it's going to be a game they can pitch to first-time TCG players. And so that's the lens they view it from, and I think that's part of what gave it the hype at Gamma was people saw this game is different, um, and I have to have it, um, which led to the the hype. Yeah, that's still one of my – pretty much my only fear at this point for the game is just that there's not going to be enough, right? There's all this interest. There's not enough. And I've seen that happen with so many other games where people really want to get their hands on it. And when they can't, they get frustrated and they, and they move on. Right. I don't know. I mean, the Disney IP is very strong. I think that would help us a lot, but I just, I just have this fear that, you know, we've heard this might be the most allocated product ever for game stores. And if that's true, we can't get into the hands of people that want to actually play it. That's going to hurt us. Right. So yeah. Um, I, you I and the know. retailers for sure. Right. It's <laughs> the biggest concern. Yeah. Right. Yep. Spot on. I do think that it's interesting that we got that Twitter feed for Brian yesterday and he basically had like a, a designer thread. And that was one of the top things they mentioned was, you know, first of all, we never said how many legendaries are in a box. We're not going to mention it. Second of all, we're fully aware that people are afraid of allocation and we are actively doing everything we can to get this into the hands of the players. So do you, do you guys feel like that's a good reassurance? Do you feel like maybe they're just trying to, you know, band-aid the scenario? We hear a lot. And of course, you know, talk is cheap. But, you know, is there something you guys think they could do to help maybe make the fear a little less palpable? Because just there's a lot of fear going on. There's no answer. And that's the biggest problem is we don't have any kind of way to gauge what allocation is or how it is or what it is in value of, you know, will each store get three boxes or a hundred boxes or five? Like, you know, thought, thoughts on that, uh, that Twitter thread from the other day. I think they're doing everything within their power to reassure people. I don't know what more they could do besides increase print numbers to the best of their ability and then tell everybody they're increasing print numbers. What I can say is that this team is committed to this being a player's game. They do not want people to buy cases and store them in the closet. They want, at the cost of getting it to the players, they want every single person in the world who wants to play this game to have a deck in their hands able to play the game. That is their overriding motivation, which is important to remember because with TCGs, there are alternate approaches. You know, there's the idea of scarcity to drive up, you know, prices and drive up demand to drive hype for the next set. That is not the goal here. It is for the players, at least for, you know, the first few sets. And um, and I don't know what more they could do besides, you know, verbal 
verbally and, and in writing and on social media, reassuring everybody that that, that is their goal. I, I don't know. I don't know what you all think, but um, I don't know what else they could do. Yeah, put in put another order right now. I guess <laughs> I, I just I just can't imagine based on the hype we're seeing. There's going to be enough product. I, I mean, that's that's just the way it is. I think. Well, just and just prepare for that, right? Like, it's, right. it's one of the things. That, like, I, I like prepare for the worst, right? Like, and then just kind of if it's not as bad, then. That, but on my brain is like, I think it's going to be really bad. So basically, like, go to all your local game shops. Like, I like to order a box, and then like, sure. if you go to five of them, maybe two of them get it, and you're you're good. And the in the stories that in this and and I think that makes it more important. And uh, as I'm saying for months now, for the stores themselves to build a community, right? And then you know have have it set up so they can get people in playing games, even if not everybody could get product, right? So having you know having some demo decks, having having um, open play nights where they can provide cards for people to use right while we wait for for the restock because that that's inevitable there's not i just, I just can't imagine there's be enough out there at the start of the, the in august so i think you're right there there won't be and you know if i could make a, a a weird you know maybe cheesy pitch i think the community like the the budding you know and nascent lorcana community uh, may have a role to play in stepping up and and you know some of the things you suggested providing, you know, those of us lucky enough to get product, you know, providing demo decks at right. their local game stores, you know, on game nights where people can come in, they can borrow decks and play or taking our bulk, you know, because we're, we're going to yeah. open a lot of boxes if we can and building starter decks that we can provide to people in the community. I think you're right. There's probably not going to be enough product at launch and it's going to be an emotional couple months while they, while we wait for wave two, uh, especially because there's going to be wave shipping for this first set. Um, but I'm excited to hopefully help my LGSs, you know, get through that i'm hoping uh a lot of the other community will will as well i think you know you're right about that that's really the best thing we can do is support the local game stores support the community and have fun because we don't know what the end game will be like the good news is over time it should become very readily available fairly quickly so the first print run will be tight the second wave should be easier when we get to the second set in november things should pick up also um, we've got the big box stores. So my, my speculation is booster boxes are probably going to be very difficult to find. I'm pretty confident that starter decks should be fairly easy. If you go to like Walmart, Target, even your local game stores, they should be able to get those. And then probably the two player set thing with Hades and Mulan, that should be fairly simple to find because I don't know if that's going to sell out the the fat pack the trove that comes with the eight packs that one might be also in short supply just because people are just trying to buy a product but my my gut says the availability to play with a starter deck shouldn't be impossible i think just the singular packs and booster boxes are the things that are going to be trickier up front so We'll have to wait and see. But I think if you want to play, you should be able to get your hands on a starter pretty, pretty quickly. If that's true, if, you know, if, if that is true, the starters are available um, with the OP system they've already, you know, told us about. I think that'd be fine, especially for those first few weeks. It's just it's just about getting people in playing the game. Right. Yeah. So I don't I don't think we need to get to that, that next complicated level, really. Yeah. I hope you're right about that. That'd be nice to that if they if I'm an LGS, I'm going to, you know, try to limit what do what I can with my own power to, to spread out especially those starter decks, make sure they get to, they go wide rather tall, right? Make sure many people in the community can get those rather than having someone buy them all up. So that would be, that would be my suggestion to anybody listening that cares about what I think. I totally agree with you. I think, I think especially for this game, starter decks are going to be so key because you are going to have all of those new TCG players who don't totally understand like what a booster pack is and how to build a deck. And I think 
Additionally, Ravensburger supporting in-store play is going to kind of help us bridge the gap of scarcity if there is scarcity in the fall. Here's the problem, though. I mean, organized play is important, but one of the problems is the organized play kits that are going free to stores, which is wonderful, do not come with product. And Mm -hmm. so your point, you know, earlier about having to uh, ration out and and control the release um, is really important if the stores want to support organized play, because they may have to reserve a significant amount of their allocation for that league play. Uh, in mm-hmm. the first three months. Otherwise, you have prizes and you have league play, but no cards. And that's um, Whoopsie. A, recipe for, <laughs> a recipe for bad feelings. We could use Pokemons as proxy, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody just is is making proxy decks at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good look. <laughs> it's not the best solution either, but, you know, I, uh, I used to have LCGs that would do credit too. So, you know, if we if we have second waves coming and you're coming and they don't have the packs, and you, if, you, if you're getting future packs, that's not the worst thing in the world, right? So um, there are solutions to that. They may not be the most, the, the greatest or most eloquent, but the, the I agree. The, the first priority would be to save, to hold some back to you because support OP because you want people to start playing and getting their packs those days and, and encouraging that that feedback loop of, of coming and playing. But if that, you know, if, if you get, if you're allocated a case, one case, four boxes. I don't know. What is it? Six boxes? I can't remember. Whatever four. it is. Well, four, we're is it we're thinking it's four. Okay. Um, whatever case is, if you're allocated one case, I mean, you're, you know, it's going to be hard to hold back anything because you, you want to open some and, and sell some and, and get around the store too. So it depends on what people are going to be able to get. Because I've heard, I've, you know, I've heard some some real horror stories about what it could look like for stores trying to get get this game so all we could do is wait and see and do our best to help bolster the community but i i do think in this interesting scenario that big box stores might help be a saving grace for the initial survivability and then the flgs will be the thing that keeps it going into set two and three mm-hmm. so we'll see we'll see what happens fingers crossed but uh now now we're gonna move on to something a little more lighter a little more fun and we are going to talk about some cards that don't exist but might exist so we've currently got about 70 ish cards we've got characters actions songs we have a action song combo i mean there's so many different things so we are going to dream up uh, a card that we want to see in lorcana based on what we have so for example you know we've got aladdin characters we've got lilo and stitch characters we've got moana characters so we can start to kind of guess hey there's probably a Maui card or, you know, there's probably a Simba and a Nala and maybe a Mufasa or I, I would love to see Rafiki. That'd be great. So uh, who wants to start us off with a card we think we're going to see somewhere in the first chapter? I think the guest should go first because we've done this kind of before. <laughs> That's true. All right. So let's give it to the Lumiteers. So uh, what do y'all think? Let's let's talk about a card you would like to see and just kind of dream it out in like the color and the cost and the ability and so on and so forth. Yeah, I um, so I guess I'll get us started. Liam and I were brainstorming earlier today about like dreaming up all the cards. I grew up a huge, huge Winnie the Pooh fan. So when ah. the Tigger card was released, I was super excited. The card I would love to see from the Winnie the Pooh world is a song. And I would love to see Heffalumps and Woozles. The Heffalump or Woozle is very confusal. The Heffalump or Woozle's very sly. 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 They come in ones and twosles. Um, <laughs> wow. That's a card. Okay. She went there. The she went there. I approve. I approve. Okay. Kids, if you don't know what that is, go, go look it up on YouTube. <laughs> Not late at night, though. 
No, and this this is a fun song. You know, it would be a song. You know, we need a song from Winnie the Pooh. I think it's iconic. And uh, what would it do, Aaron? Yeah, we were talking about that it could steal your opponent's cards because that's what the Heffalumps and Woozles do is they steal Winnie the Pooh's honey. I think an item. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great line. You know, they, they covet the things you prize. And so, yeah. Yeah. That's what it would do. What color? Ooh, I mean, purely based on like the art of the song, I would go with like maybe an amethyst, but. And for those of us yeah. who don't know what that is, what color is amethyst? Is that purple? <laughs> purple. Purple. Everything purple. just by the color. Sorry. I'm not yeah, I was like, oh, come on, man. We're so no, ignorant. We apologize. I don't, I don't no, use technical th- terms. Thanks for, thanks for keeping me true and getting me out I of the technical terms. I call things benching yeah. it when I put it down for ink. <laughs> yeah, like, let, let's be honest. If there's someone listening to this and this is like one of their first episodes ever, what's an amethyst? Uh, it's purple. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's purple. Amethyst yes. purple. Also, I have no idea. I, I, just, I can't remember the names of the, the gems. I'm so bad. <laughs> I remember right, What's steel. the cost? Ooh. For Heffel Up and Woozles? I mean, so songs, you know, are, are nice because they can cheat out for a little bit yeah. cheaper. So this is probably a little more expensive. It's probably a four or a five. Yeah, I was thinking like four, maybe. Cause, yeah, because yeah. if it steals an item, you know, we could see some OP items later that uh, are game winners. So yeah. Absolutely. B smear is pretty good and limited. Very, very <laughs> spicy card. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I like that. The Heffalumps and Woozles. That's, that's pretty cool. Liam, did you have an idea? You know, I, there's so many we could go with. I, I really want to I really want to speculate on Kronk, uh, but I'm not going to. I'm going to go with another song. Um, I'm going to go with Once Upon a Dream from uh, uh, Sleeping Beauty. I know you. I walked with you once upon. We've seen Aurora. We have yet to see an Aurora song, a Sleeping Beauty song. This song is iconic. Um, and perhaps this could be our first Tudor effect. Perhaps Once Upon a Dream, uh, where Aurora is singing about finding her prince and a prince is singing about finding a princess, uh, is the first card that allows you to search your deck for a specific card type, uh, prince or princess. And perhaps instead of uh, having a cost associated with singing the card, you have to be a prince or princess type to sing that song. Um, so this allows princes to search for princesses or vice versa. Probably a, a four or five cost card. They can cheat out easier uh, with, with a sing mechanic. Um, but I think that would be fun. Yeah. What color? Um, my gut says uh, sapphire. I was um, going to go with sapphire, which is blue. Which is blue. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, cool. My <laughs> good blue. My um, favorite I, color. So I good. think that's where we see tu- we see card draw there. That's probably mm-hmm. where we see tutor effects appear first. And um, and we have an Aurora and a Maleficent in there. So we have a lot of, we're seeing some Sleeping Beauty cards come out in Sapphire. That's true. So. A lot of Auroras in, uh, in blue already. So and it's cool because we've seen the Prince keyword on both Beast and literal Prince Eric. Mm-hmm. So that's an established subtype, I guess, is a explanation for the card yeah 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 absolutely yeah i think that would be fun that's that's one of my one of my dream cards <laughs> that would be that'd be pretty cool i like the song ideas all right skeff what's your card of choice okay i'm still gonna go with the very first concept i had i kept thinking about like oh there's a couple like songs i want to do but i'm i want i'm still gonna go with the big bad wolf i still want a big bad wolf It'll be a steel type, and I'll have Love an area it. effect of once played everything in play gets uh minus two defense and it'll cost five, and it'll be a one, four. Ooh. Wow. That's interesting. So we're, we're also predicating this ability on Magic the Gathering, where if your willpower is zero or less, you, are, you are banished, because technically, we only have damage currently. So we don't, we don't have anything that reduces 
the defense or willpower on cards. Correct. I would like Yet. to. I like. I, I like to reduce willpower. It costs five. It's a one four. But and it does it to everyone, including yours. Wait, yeah, how right? much? Exactly. Um, how much lore would he quest for? Zero. Uh, zero. Yeah, he for zero. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 is, he is a wolf. He wants yeah. to eat everything in play and cares yeah. nothing about it's, you or your game. That's fine. It's not because he can't quest. It's because he doesn't want to. Correct. <laughs> and he will Actually, not. that'll be on the card. The card can't quest. <laughs> oh. And that'll quest. be part of the card. Wow. The card cannot be quest. It I can only challenge. So. That's awesome. Spicy. Right. I still, I still want that. And three little piggies. I want that. Yeah. That's what I need in the game. And the <laughs> ability is called blow your house down. Yeah. 100%. That's it. Yeah. Or just like I'm the big bad wolf. Or yeah. I think, yeah. Just something very simple like that. But I think that would be, I don't know. We have not seen a area of effect card where it like affects both. I'm like, so I don't know. I just keep going like there's got to be some sort of board wipe to deal with all these little mini things. I think it's fun. I love that. I like That's it. So I like it a lot. All right. Chris, what you got? I was thinking, I just saw Moana the other day with my daughter. So I was thinking about the hard graffiti because I like Ooh. items. And I think there'll be more signature items. I mean, we've seen some already, you know, Beast Mirror and that type of stuff. White Rabbit's Pocket Watch. So I, I, I think you can have a few different versions of the hard graffiti. I would, the one I'm going with is a yellow version um, that's high cost, probably like, well, I'll say the effect first. So the effect is going to be auto heals. So it's going to heal you know, let's say, I don't know, one or two around. You just, just an auto trigger. So start of the round, or I don't know how they're going to word in this game, but just it's, it heals per round. And I would say for that effect, it would need to be pretty expensive. So probably like five, four, five, and yellow. And it's just an item that the six round and it heals automatically. But I think you could also have a, r- a red version that, that does something that buffs in some way. And that makes sense. It's where we see the healing effects right now. So that's right. great. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. We were actually talking about Tafiti when we were brainstorming cards because you see the subtype deity on the Hades mm. King of Olympus card. And mm. we're like, okay, what other quote unquote deities are there yep. in in Disney? And um, Tafiti was the one that we kind of came up with off the top of our head. But I love I love the heart of the heart of Tafiki, that's awesome. Zeus? Yeah. Ooh. Zeus, lightning bolts. Isn't, isn't Maui kind of? He's a demigod. Uh, yeah. Demigod. I guess demigod. He's a demigod. Yeah. And Demi-tiny. so it was like, yeah, is that yeah. a deity? <laughs> I wonder what that classify him as. Like, I wonder what I his, was, his classification would be. I mean, be. if he's a floodborn, he could be a deity, probably. Mm-hmm. Because he would have completed his goal to actually become, you know, so I guess you could have Hercules as a god when he becomes a god. Demigod. Yeah, like oh, a dreamborn version. Have. Yeah. yeah. Because he ends up Maui. not becoming he ends up not becoming a god at the end of the movie. Like well, he mean, turns he, it he down it to go up. back to yeah. Meg. Yeah. yeah. What a fool. What a fool. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need. We need a Megara. <laughs> is it, it has this dreamborn hero and does it say prince? Okay, this this is scan yes. yes. is that he's a prince. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Which is a g- interesting subtype. I mm-hmm. love it. For him. Yeah. Again, more Prince keywords. It's. I think. I think these subtitles, these subtext keywords, are going to be really interesting. Probably not in set one. I think like set two or set three, we're going to see some legitimately interesting interactivity. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. why? Why would they have all these keywords? It'd be worthless. So yeah, I'm. I'm super excited to see what. Like, I want to see the foundation, the skeleton, which we're starting to see. There's all these keywords like you know, storyborn, dreamboard, floodborn, hero, ally, princess, prince, hero, mm-hmm. villain, so on and so forth. So now it's like. What are they going to do with it? I'm positive we're going to see some cards that interact with it in set one, but it's just really interesting because it's another subplot of mechanics they can fiddle with in future sets where it's like, you know, you'll have an item that says, you know, all of your 
you know, musketeers get plus one willpower or reduce damage by one or, you know, all of your villains cost one less or something like that. So you can start seeing synergistic tools with these very specific keywords, which means very cool deck construction because now you're starting to build quote unquote theme teams where you can have like a villains deck because you're searching for this early game item that says, you know, all your villains get this boost. They're called anthems in Magic the Gathering. So you could have a villain deck and have all these items that say, you know, when a villain quests, they get plus one lore. When a villain challenges, they do, you know, plus one strength. Or, you know, you can reveal a, when you draw a card, you could reveal it. If it's a villain, you could draw another card. Like we've seen all these mechanics in other games. So now these keywords start to become not only pertinent, but actually relevant to what you want to do as a deck constructionist when building something really cool. If you're a villain fan or a hero fan or, a you know, I, there's a Mickey Mouse captain. Like, okay, what other captain do we have? We got Captain Hook. Okay, that'd be fun to see those two in a deck. Like, you know, Captain maybe Captain Jack Sparrow. Like, who knows? It'll be it'll be cool. I, I was curious. I wanted to ask the, the our guest for uh, one of like you know new new to new to you know the trading card game and an experienced individual. Where would you like to see kind of the I guess the machine that runs the deck? I.e., like, is, do you think it'll be tutor or do you think it'll be card draw? Like, which one do you think it'll favor more? It's a good question. Card draw, probably. So I want to put Skeff's question through a, a filter because we've talked about this before. So when you look at when you look at Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh, most of their abilities to get options are focused in card draw. You draw a card, do a thing. Uh, Pokemon is the opposite end of that spectrum where Pokemon is heavily tutoring. Lots of Pokemon cards are like, you know, uh, Ultra Ball, discard two cards, get any Pokemon you want. There is a card called Pokemon Communication. Take a Pokemon in your hand, put it into your deck, and get a Pokemon that you want. So there's a lot of drawn Pokemon, but there's just a ton of cards that say, get whatever you want. So... Both of these types of games, Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! versus Pokemon, they give you options, but they give you an options via different methods, via different transport items. So when you look at Lorcana, currently we only have card draw, but everyone who's played a trading card game suspects we're going to see some form of tutoring where you can, you know, play a card and it says, you know, search for hero, princess, card that costs two or less or whatever. So Skeff and I all often like to speculate about do you think Lorcana, once we have the set is going to be giving players options to find cards they want by drawing a bunch of cards or by actually being able to tutor out specific targets they want yeah no so this is a i appreciate the explanation and it's a great it's a great question i think uh it's going to be card draw and i think it's going to be card draw because um i think uh steve and ryan having designed many card games before are super concerned about the meta having a diverse meta having a ton of different options, having deck building be super important. And I think, you know, my perception is, you know, having played a bit of Commander, um, that the more tutor effects you have, the less variety you get because you become very reliant on combos and, you know, very specific synergies. And so uh, deck variety and game variety can, can, and you'll all have to correct me if I'm wrong, but you can lose that a little bit. I think the part of the brilliance you're 100%, you're 100%, of having, I don't want you to, you're a hundred percent correct about that, by the way. Oh, you okay. are you're like for the game that like the, for the Pokemon of years that I've played where like, it breaks down to like the tutor effect, i.e. like searching for it to build the combos. 
And then if you get it, you win. Like you're 100% correct. Like, yeah, if you get the tutor, you'd have one off of everything. Yeah, you're right though, 100%. I appreciate that. Okay, so I'm not going down a strange path here because knowing that then, you know, you reassuring me of that. Um, I think, you know, part of the brilliance of the of the six color two restrict color restriction, um, you know, rule is that it can lead to a very diverse meta and a variety of decks. And I think that's something that they want to keep in the game because um, I think it would, they know it would feel bad for young players if um, they're coming into League Night and they have to acquire a very specific deck to be competitive. Um, and so I think that they will avoid, even though I speculated on a tutor card, I think they will avoid tutors. It, it's inevitable that it'll happen because you run out of you know options for cards or whatever, but I think they will avoid a significant amount of them in near term because I think it makes gameplay a little more fun. That's just my thought. Totally agree with that. And I just want to say, like, and that, that's been the argument we have for a long time. I just think it's more, even though we Pokemon still argue ha- about it. I know, I know, I, th- I know. Pokemon has it all I the still, time. I think it still is a more complex mechanism because of this game being on the base level more complex than Pokemon, in my opinion. That's all I'm saying. So, I, so I, I, I just think that all the cards we've seen suggest that they're going to want you drawing more cards and building your deck in an efficient way versus you know taking one offs and trying to search them out. That so. Totally agree. Well, and I think card draw, as the noob of the group, I think card draw is a strategy that is scalable. And one thing that you can really see in the rules of this game is that they've built the game to be scalable so that 10-year-olds can play it and adults can play it and everybody is enjoying it based on their their own ability to strategize. And I think with card draw allows you to have a really, really simple strategy get cards in my hand period or a more complex strategy if that's if if you're at that level of play and so yeah from a scalability perspective i think leaning into card draw versus tutoring is going to be um is going to be more in alignment with the game i have i like after hearing you guys kind of talk about it and after all of us have been arguing about it that makes a lot more sense uh more of a approachable aspect rather than just like, well, I have the search card. What should I get? Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that's where it's just like, well, do I get this? You know what I mean? Like you're just drawing and it's, it's across the board. We're each a drawing card. So whatever we draw, we draw. Yeah. Yep. And mechanically it's more fun. So as a competitive player, I'll play devil's advocate here. I would rather have the tutoring because it's consistent. And if you're playing at major events and high levels, you would rather have consistency over anything else because you want to be able to see those those tools you placed in your deck. You don't want to just pray to RNG Jesus and go, well, if I see this card, I win. If I don't see this card, I lose. You want to be able part to of the consistently. Cards. Yeah. You don't want to Yu-Gi-Oh cheat when you're trying to you know, like get the card out of your, your jacket pocket onto the top of the deck when you, you know don't get caught. So I, I do understand from a mechanical standpoint that tutoring provides consistency, which provides generally, if everything works properly, more victory. However, I can't tell you how many times we've played games and testing and someone slaps down a friends on the other side and they're like, all right, here we go. Let's see what I get. And even if they don't get a card that helps them win the game, they're still really excited to just see two new options. A hundred percent. I think Yzma has also been a really interesting tell because I've seen this happen a lot. People are really excited to just see the card and I'll, I'll remind them like you can't draw it. And they're like, I don't care. This is awesome. I know it's coming. I'm like, interesting. That's or it's, really, or it's garbage, and I didn't and, want to draw it anyway. Yeah, and and they're like, yeah. okay, cool, I can get rid of this. And so I, I do think that Lorcana, as its game entity, is predicated on giving players 
this really interesting dopamine hit of everything you do is going to have something fun and potentially impactful. Even if you play friends on the other side and you draw two cards that don't do anything, you still get to look at two awesome cards with art and you're still being given two new options. And unless it's, you know, the end of the game where you win or lose based on your card draw, you now have two new things to look at and go, hmm, how does this incorporate into my strategy? How can I use these? Do I want to ink them? Do I want to play them? Is it an action? Is it a character? Is it an item? And there's just been, like I said, with everyone I've seen, as soon as they draw a card from a special effect outside of the mandatory draw, there's just this really interesting excitement. And it's kind of caught me off guard because, you know, I was like, why? And now it makes sense. You're, you're seeing new things. You're seeing new choices. You're you're giving birth to this new alternate dimension of, ah, I didn't have these before, but now I do. So what do I do with these things? Like, oh, so that's kind of cool. The more I think about like card draws, card draws more fun and Lorcana actually. And the problem with tutoring to me is it's just layered on top of everything else, right? Like I mean, for a game, you know, I, I, get, I sit down and make a deck and I want to make a deck about, uh, you know, sorcerers working together to to clear the board or whatever. So that's, so I'm going to put the max copies of, of uh, a hero in and, and whatever actions they need and whatever items they need just so I could get, you know, try to get that consistency of getting my combo going where I want it. And when you have tutoring in a game, all you do is you layer that on top. So then you have this tutoring package where it's to, the point is to get to this other thing faster. So then, you know, 12 cards, 30% of your deck is just about tutoring other cards out, right? So that's that. That's how I think about it. It, it just, it, it's, it adds on this other layer. In my opinion, it doesn't, maybe it speeds it up. Maybe it makes it more fun for people. I don't, I, I prefer to, you know, build a deck the way I want to build it or, you know, get, get ideas from somebody else and then see it come to fruition, you know, through my card draw. That's how I think about it. So of all the cards that we've seen released so far, do you have a favorite art or one of the cards you're specifically looking forward to most pulling in the foil form? Um, hmm. The cold foil form. We should say cold foil. Lo- what a loaded question. That's I know, a- right? They've done interviewed all the artists. Now it's like, oh, maybe I- maybe just pick a favorite <laughs> one foil. Let's go with that one. No, uh, well, I mean, we were just talking about it this week. So I'm going to just go with part of your world. I love that card art. It's so, so gorgeous. And I think it's going to look really beautiful um, in cold foil as well. So that might be my easy out, but... I, I do think that that card art is really unique. I feel like the the complexity and the depth and just the number of things going on on that one piece, I think is is really unique for that card. I'll, I'll provide two answers. One, I'm really excited for Hook. And this is part of, you know, as you suggested, our emotional connection uh, with the artist. I love Marcel talking about his how he created that piece, how hard it was for him. And he's so proud of it that I can see his passion in uh, Hook Forceful Duelist. And I love that. I also love Ariel herself. I think Ariel is a beautiful card. The art nails it for me. I love her flavor. And um, I just have emotional connection with that card because it's the only card I will probably ever get to spoil for Lorcana. I got to take the picture and tweet it and somebody immediately downloaded it and retweeted it as their own. But I got to spoil that card and I love, I love it so much. It um, was it was funny. While Liam was at Gamma, I was on Twitter and I saw the picture of Ariel and this random person just like posted it. And I was like, that's Liam's hand. That's my hand. <laughs> I was like, that's, what is this person? Because I mean, this person was like posting Posting it as if it was like their post. And I was like, that's Liam's hand. That's what is happening here. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, but there's so many. I mean, Luis Huerta's Dragon, um, Stitch, oh, uh, so Smuggly Sosabaya's Stitch. These artists, you know, and I'm excited to talk about the stories later when we can, but they're 
connection to these pieces is so incredible that I can't help but see them and think of them. And so each and every one of those, you know, that we've connected the artists over, I'm excited to see. Very cool. So I've got the last card and then we're going to get on in here because it is time to go get some ice cream or you can do whatever you want, but I want some ice cream. I want to see a Peg Leg Pete villain character in the game. I think we should probably see him in purple. I I don't really care what his stats are. He's probably going to be like, I feel like he's going to be a like a four or five drop, like a two, two, maybe one lore, because that's not his, his thing. But what you're paying for is his ability. And I want to be able to destroy a card in my inkwell to draw two cards. Oh, that's awesome. That actually. So you, you take the card, you throw it in your discard pile, you banish it, but you draw two cards off the top of your deck. So you're slowing yourself down and uh, you would, you basically exert him to do this. So he becomes vulnerable. Someone can attack him. He's squishy. So you can use, you know, cannons to kill him. Like he's, he's, a utility piece that is very vulnerable, but you know, once per turn, if you can keep him alive, you can exhaust him to draw two cards at the cost of slowing down your mana curve. And I think that would be super, super fun to see because we don't have anything that interacts with the inkwell yet. I don't know if we ever will, but I think as a villain, you should be willing to hurt yourself to advance your game state. And that would be something pretty interesting. So could you discard an exhausted ink or do you have to? So basically you would pay for him on a turn. Right. And then in a future turn, you just exhaust him, take a card out of your inkwell, throw it into your discard pile and boom, you draw two cards. Now, if you remember which card is where and you're paying attention, you might be able to feed yourself a character that you could reanimate with, you know, part of your work or a Hades. So it, it does have a little bit of a, a micro game where if you're paying attention, you remember what you inked where and you you know don't shuffle up your cards by accident. Uh, you could you could potentially <laughs> help yourself out maybe. Which is exactly where I hope they go back on that rule. I just I just don't like that you don't know where what inks down there or where it is because it's so easy in these kind of card games that it's gonna it's gonna get messed up, right? It's it's not like a to me it's not like a graveyard. It's not something that you can that you can openly see and control you know i think it's really going to be hard to be to remind people not to be moving their cards around not to be changing those those cards down there so i know that's the rule of the game the way that the game's played right now and i'll see when i actually get my hands on it but that that seems so that seems kind of clunky to me right i think i agree with it i like the rule in concept but in execution it's going to lead to some problems especially in mm-hmm. competitive play i don't Which, think there's a rule that says you can't reorganize the cards you just can't look at them well, right. but, see, and that's, but that's what you get in this competitive thing. And again, I hope this, I mean, the, my goal, I've said forever, my, I'm a nine-year-old, I want her to get this game. I'm not I'm not trying to get this, I'm not trying to go fab on this game and, you know, be be super competitive and traveling. And But there will be players that want to be competitive and there will be, you know, competitive tournaments for this game. And that stuff like that adds up, right? Little little things like that. Um, people are going to be really interested in how they rule, make the rulings and because that can change a if you have a character that interacts with the inkwell, that's going to be a huge part about, can I shuffle it? Can I not shuffle it? You know, can I memorize where it is? Do I get, am I getting points? You know, am I, am I getting edges in my match because I have a better way to memorize where my cards were than my opponent, right? I do feel like there has to be a little bit of, maybe maybe I'm giving Robinsburg too much credit, but I would hope that there has to be some sort of like end goal because of that rule, because it is such a specific rule that they have like overtly said, you can't look at the cards in your inkwell. And so I, I hope that there is a reason as to why at some point. Yeah. Or even if you have effects that target them, I guess one way to 
to deal with that is you have to randomize them before you target them. Yeah. You know, if, yeah, if the cards right. are going are to make you, you know, shuffle your cards before you grab the cards. Mm-hmm. But something like that to make it so that people, you know, I just, I just feel like that that one to me, I don't know why. It just, it just, it just, it just rubs me a little bit the wrong way that I'm going to be watching their graveyard, watching their deck, watching their, their mana system as well. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's a lot to watch. Um, not that I don't trust people, but like in competitive tournaments, that's what it's, you know, that's what this trust is all no about. One. Yeah, but then, but then people no can one. go take a card that's not supposed to be inked and ink it. And then, right. you know, I heard that happen. And I heard that happen. I was really upset about that. So I just wanted to go through. Someone recorded it? Someone recorded it and like posted it, right? Allegedly, never admit defeat. It's alleged. Nobody saw nothing. I didn't see nothing. So that means, that means if this if this is a super competitive game, which is not going to be, that means that every, after every game, Game, you're gonna have to check your the other person's ink will. No, make sure not they, because they, it. No, because if they use ramp, they might have a non inkable card face down because you don't know what that card is. If you use like detective, well, yeah, one that job. is correct. Sure. I will say in Liam's defense, the proxy was misprinted. <laughs> Oh. It wasn't it misprinted? Oh. Well, that changes yeah, things. Yeah, okay, the proxy oh, well, was misprinted. Oh, that's huge. I don't want to call Dang, other people pulling out. them out from under the wow. bus. So the, man, it's so not the actually true, your fault. So the proxy had the symbol assist. that you, the proxy had the symbol you could ink? That, that, yeah, that the flourish. It, it, it did, yeah. No, you didn't do anything wrong then, man. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't know any better. You know, you know how people are. But then, but then I went into my inkwell to check to verify mm-hmm. and then of course I got accused it was a double whammy they got me twice they set you up man they oh. did so anyway. remember trust no one don't trust the internet <laughs> trust don't trust verify. yourself <laughs> yeah yeah the live chats I mean it's, it's good you did that but live chats rough, rough man like being somebody that's just like judged like live, <laughs> live chats and people like people are brutal on there there's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. you gotta call T.O. you gotta call a tournament organizer and be like hey I need a, I need a judge to check yeah. please Man. That that helps keep you safe. <laughs> oh, and good fun. Oh, oh good fun. man. Well, th- this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to sit down, have a good laugh, talk about Lorcana, dream up a little bit. Does anyone have any last thoughts before we get on out of here? Because th- this was a pretty fun episode to just kick back, relax, and uh, talk about. I really like Teflums and Woozles. I kind of really want to see that card now, like really bad. With all the like creepy eyes and you're like poo right in the middle, like a little spotlight. And he's like, Ooh. gave me such nightmares. <laughs> that song. <laughs> no, I thought you guys were phenomenal. Thank you guys so much for coming out tonight. We appreciate it. It was very nice to meet y'all. That was awesome talking to you. Thanks so much for having us. It was yeah. a pleasure. Thanks for, for letting us join. And we're going to get to hang out at Gen Con in less than 90 days. Oh, my gosh. It's not going to be fun, though. Remember, it's not, we're not going to have fun. We're just I mean, gonna yeah, have no fun. it's going to be terrible. I don't, be I terrible. Wait to, it's going to be no awful. Smiles. No, no smiles. No fun. Well, all of our photos that we take, we're not going to smile in the photos. We're going to look No, no, no. I can't not smile. Come on. We're going to not smile, Sugi. We have to do it for the greater good. You have good. to, like, hold me upside down. It's just not going to work. I'll just rip a little chronic card in front of you, and then you'll be sad. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you can't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't do that. Don't you tend me. I'll do it. <laughs> All right. So as we get on out of here, I just want to kick it back to the Illumiteers. Where can people find you and your awesome content? Thanks so much. Well, we are uh, on YouTube at Illumiteers or Twitter at Illumiteers and other various social media platforms. Um, that's Illumineer with a T. And as a note for anybody listening, if you're excited about a particular artist or a card, let us know. There's a lot of artists we could talk to and we're looking to prioritize. So um if there's one you all are excited about, let us know and we'll uh, we'll, we'll go out. for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute blessing to have you on just to hang out and talk about art and 
really enjoy getting to know more about the content creators in the Lorcana space because there's a lot of people who are fans. There's a lot of content creators. It's a very, very wide and growing community. And so it's just fun to sit down and have some fun and, you know, also prep for Gen Con because that's going to be an amazing time. But, you know, no smiles, of course. But anywho, <laughs> we will see everyone on our next episode. Thank you so much for joining us. You can definitely check us out on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter at Lorcanacast. Make sure to follow us, like, subscribe, do all that stuff. But definitely check out the Illumiteers. Check out uh, Lorcania.com. We've also got some articles up about deck profiles we've been working on and a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline. So we'll see everybody next time. So as always, remember that Ohana means family, which means nobody gets left behind and nobody gets forgotten.